If you can. Um, it's been a couple weeks. Uh, the last time that we were together, uh, we talked about Jesus stilling the storm. Uh, we talked about maybe the thing you remember the most from it was the painting that was stolen from uh, the museum that was worth four point six million, whatever it was. Uh, all the art that was there. Uh, when we went to Boston, I, I did not come across it. Uh, you know, the, uh, that's, that's where it was stolen from. They didn't, I didn't see it laying on the side of the road or anything like that. But uh, I, if I had it, we might not have come back. I don't know. So, uh, um, but anyway. Um, that was, it's been a couple of weeks and I appreciate dad, uh, filling in, uh, for me, uh, the last, uh, the last couple of weeks. Tonight we're going to be in the book of Mark. I find that it's, um, feels like we're in Mark more than any other when it comes to miracles. Most of these miracles are present in multiple books, but it was something, there was something that, um, Alan Webster said when we were here, when he was here in the spring, he said, Mark is written by somebody who wanted to tell it all as fast as he possibly could. Yeah. And uh, it, it's just like, you know, it, it's like every sentence in Mark starts with, then they did this, and then this, and then this. And it's like listening to a little kid trying to explain all the fun stuff that they had done. But it works pretty well then for, uh, for these lessons because it kind of gets to uh, the, the main point. Tonight is actually one of these uh, longer writings from the book of Mark. We're going to be in Mark chapter 5. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 20. And so we've got a, a lot of that. Uh, tonight we are talking about, uh, th- this is a really difficult one to, to define, um, but I- I've called it the miracle of the Gadarene demon. And, and you have no idea how much time I spent trying to come up with a name for this um, because the, the title in my lesson packet here didn't really work or at least it didn't seem like it worked real well and I looked it up and it was like it's sometimes referred to as it and it was like they listed off 12 different names that this one could be so you'll probably know this story but I do want to say this is one of five different examples of miracles in which Jesus healed someone of demon possession and the problem with these sort of one night lessons is I don't want to be repetitive, but there's a part of this story that I think a lot of us uh, will maybe re- will remember and we'll be able to talk about. So I want to start with a little bit about where this took place. But in order to do that, I want us to go back a couple of lessons previously. And what had happened was when Jesus and the apostles had went to the edge of the Sea of Galilee, they were sort of crowded in. So they went out onto the sea just a little bit. We talked about how that the Sea of Galilee sort of divided people. There was a western side that was predominantly Jewish. And there was an eastern side that was predominantly Gentile. And when I say Gentile, it simply means anyone who wasn't Jewish. So it does not mean to imply that everybody on the other side was the same religion. It just means to say they were not Jewish. And so... When Jesus and the apostles go out onto the sea, the storm arises, and Jesus was asleep, you'll remember. But once they settle all of that, they go on to the other side. And so that's where this will take place. And that's why I'm thankful four or five months ago that we decided to go in chronological order because it makes a little more sense 
to sort of follow the steps that Jesus is taking. But a couple of things here. This is a view of roughly that side of the Sea of Galilee. And I want you to look at this picture because more than anything, I want you to see that you're sort of elevated and that you would go down to the water. Okay, you might look at that and think that's sky, but that's actually uh, that's actually the Sea of Galilee right there. And this place, this takes place as you can see there, following uh, the miracle of Jesus calming or sailing the storm. They cross the Sea of Galilee, land on the eastern side. The location is variously called a few different things. It's called the land of the Gergesenes, the Gadarenes, of the or the Gerasenes. That depends on the translation. You see that all there. But those are really town names in some cases. But more than that, they're names of groups of people. Okay? And so it was almost like if you said to this side of Lexington, you've got the Nicholasvillians and the Lancasterians and the Stanfordians or something like that. It would be people that were from each of those places. They would have a lot of similarities, but their differences, they were from those spots. I say that because this is in Matthew, this is in Mark, and this is in Luke. Matthew 8, Mark 5, and Luke 8. And you'll see it referred to as different places. And I'll show why that's the case here in just a second. But we're going to use the word gathering, but it doesn't really matter here. And I'll say, show why here in just a second. This gives you an idea of where we're talking about. And this is the Sea of Galilee right there. And along the eastern shore was the small village of Gergesa, and southeast was a larger city of Gadara or Gadara. So this is most likely where Jesus and the apostles landed. Uh, from things that I read, that was a pretty common place. It, these, the boats that they were in wouldn't have needed a huge port, but it also wouldn't have made sense to land it in the middle of nowhere. You're probably going to want to land where you could uh, eat or you could sleep or whatever it might would be. But this gives you an idea of where they were. This next town, again, I said there were three different names. Gerasa is another large and famous city. It was about 35 miles southeast of the Sea of Galilee. So it's kind of down here. It's off the map. I couldn't find a good map that covered all of that right here. Uh, but they were two of ten cities in the Decapolis, which is right here, which is why it's called the Decapolis. There was ten of them. Um, they formed an alliance to protect their frontier from invaders from the desert. So if you're looking at this, and I'll say this as somebody who teaches history and geography, and it may not work for you, but over here on this wall is where we would call today Iraq. Okay? So if any of you have watched anything on the news in the last 30 years, 40 years, you've probably seen Iraq. And how would you describe the landscape of Iraq if you've seen it on TV? Dry, desert, desolate. If you know anybody who's in the military, they would they come out and say it was hot. You know, it was not a super comfortable place. But that's that desert area. Well, this is not quite the desert. This is Syria, modern-day Syria and Jordan, but really close to the uh, Sea of Galilee. But these towns here had sort of formed together to protect themselves from outside invaders. And so if you're forming, the ten towns are working together to protect themselves, what are those towns probably going to look like? They're going to be fortresses. They're going to be fortified areas for people. And there's going to be a clear marking of you're either in the fort or you're out of the fort. Keep that in mind here as we go forward. 
most of the inhabitants here would have been Gentiles. Now, close to the sea where they were, this is not a great picture, but it's about the best that I can do. Near Gergesa there were cliffs with steep slopes that reached all the way down to the shore. And the limestone rocks were studded with caves and tombs. And so it makes sense then that somebody might would stay in those places. Well, the guy that's in our story tonight is a man possessed by demons, and he dwelt in these tombs, and he was there, and he met Jesus when the boat lands. He just happens to be the one that was there. Now, we're going to read a little bit more about this man in our story, but it will read tonight in Mark chapter 5 that chains and things like that really couldn't hold him. So why do you think this man would have been in a cliff or a slope or a tomb, whatever it was? Why would he have been here and not in the city? Okay. Driven would have driven out of the city. Somebody else said something on here. And there, was no, there would have been no real way of control. And then if we think about the fact that these were protected cities, if this man is so possessed, if he's so, to use a term we might say today, crazy or wild, that he's on the outside of the fort, which makes a whole lot more sense. You know, he'd rather be outside than inside. So keep that in mind going forward here as well. Now, we're going to be in Mark chapter 5 there just a second ago. But we show you a little something here. This is from roughly 1000 AD. Um, this is a printed uh, scene created in England. Uh, the thing I sense was most likely in Canterbury. You can see it at the J. Paul Getty Museum in Los Angeles today. There's one thing about this, though, and it's a little hard to tell right here. Those of you that are up close, you might be able to see. What are these animals right here? Those are pigs, and you can't really tell too well that they are jumping into the water. Does anybody know what story I'm talking about now? Do I remember that story? Now, you might not remember that story. If you don't remember it, that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. As I was getting this ready, I think this is what uh, Mom and uh, Max and Eliana were talking about on, uh, on Sunday. My pigs aren't as good as Eliana's favorite pigs that she drew. So hers were, hers were way better uh, than that. But this is, I, I still find it amazing that there's artwork that's a thousand years old that depicts a lot of these same stories right there. But we're in Mark chapter 5. I've debated on this, and I will open it up to you, but I, I have decided that I will split the reading up into like five different parts. Okay? It's Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. If you need to go all the way to 20, if you want to see, if you want to read ahead, if you want to see the end of the movie before we get there, you are welcome to. But we're going to read and then stop and discuss uh, a little bit along the way. This is Mark chapter 5, uh, just the first five verses right here. Booty, turn to read this. All right, so the first question, uh, and really the only question here uh, to, to start with, the first five verses give you a descriptor of sort of the first person that Jesus and the apostles would have seen. 
And so I want us to think about the way that Mark describes this man. So look at verses 1 through 5. How does Mark describe this man? Wild, uncontrollable, definitely so. Say it again. Dangerous. Dangerous. I I think it would have been very dangerous uh, for them. It's clear that he lives where? In these tombs. We would probably use the word homeless maybe right here. He's not living in a sort of stable home maybe. He's out out of the community. What else? Absolutely, it says there at the very end said he was crying out and cutting himself with stones. So it would have made sense that he's probably bloody. He would have looked uh, very rough. But why was he out there in the first place? Well, the fact that he was demon-possessed probably isn't the reason why he was out there because we've seen demon-possessed people that were amongst the community in some of these other lessons. But they said that his demon possession was so bad. What do we read in, I think, verse 4 right there? Verse 3, I'm sorry. They couldn't bind him, not even with chains. And so his situation was so dire that at some point they said, we've got to, in a sense, chain this man up. But that didn't work. And so it's almost like he's out of play. Again, that's why I wanted to mention you know, that he's out of the fort in a sense almost. That's, you know, maybe a protective thing for them as well. I want you, though, for just a moment to put yourself in two different sets of shoes, and we're going to ask both of you. What is your first thought if you're on the boat with Jesus when you pull into the shore? You see him? Yeah, this is, this is the first thing you see. Keep going, okay? Yeah, yeah, and, and I'm sure even then, some speculation as to what's what's the deal with this guy. What else might we be thinking if we're maybe didn't want to get out? This is the this is sort of the land of the Gentiles. They come from the side of the Jews, and there was even possessed people on the Jewish side too. But Peter and Andrew and James and John, they're on the wrong side of the water, as it were. And I'm sure there's probably a thought going in their head like, eh, what if we just ease on back, you know? But there's probably some of that thinking as well. All right. What else would you maybe think if you're in the boat with Jesus here? I'd be saying, looking at Jesus and what he's going to do. Maybe looking at Jesus and wondering what he's going to do. This is number 14, so there's clearly, you know, there's a track record there. But maybe standing behind Jesus and not in front of him, you know, in this place. All right. Second, put yourself in the position of the demon possessed man. I think so. We'll see that here in just a moment. Yeah. And I, the other thing, though, the apostles might have been kind of glad that they did not have a crowd of people. Okay. They've been overwhelmed by crowds. You know, right. They were kind of relieved to be over here in a place. Maybe people up there know Jesus that well and maybe give a little space. You know, sure. Maybe they need that. Could have been. Could have been. I, I like for us to do that. I don't know if you do that very often, but I like to sort of 
put up, you know, I think it's good for us to put ourselves in the shoes of the person that was experiencing this. Because how many of us are real quick to say, this is what I did? We all say that, right? We all, we all say that. But sometimes, you know, I think it's better for us to go into the shoes of that person because we, it's easy to say, I don't do this or that until, you know, you're actually faced with it. But we can't go back in time to when Jesus was, but it's nice to think, how would I maybe have reacted had I been in this spot? But we've clearly established here that this man, it, this is a dangerous, unsettling situation for anybody who would have been there. Yeah, I want us to see that to start with. So, let's go a little further. This is Mark chapter 5, verses 6 through uh, 10. Tell me if you care to read that one. All right, so we've got a few different things here to think about, to discuss with this first scene. So Jesus is there, um, and the interaction takes place almost immediately uh, after we've seen a description of this man. Uh, it says, when, Jesus, when, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. That's a little bit about, uh, that's kind of what Tom said there just a minute ago, uh, and, and thinking about how he would have reacted. But... He comes to Jesus, and it says that he worships him, right? What do you think that means, verse 6? First of all, it's a demon. Sure, yes. The demon, has, the demon has complete, total control over this man. Yes. This man is not doing anything that he might want. Right. The demon, the demons uh-huh. are telling him what to do. Absolutely. And so what does he say? And I say, I say he because he's the vessel that this was in, but what does he say? He said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you, Tom, what are you saying? That you don't torment me. It's an interesting sort of statement right here. But he makes the first move, as it were. Um, This is not uncommon. Quite often, we see Jesus sort of wandering in and out of Scenes and there were people that would approach him, and this is not much different here. How does Jesus respond? What does Jesus say in verse eight to the unclean spirit? And when I, again, the unclean spirit is who's sort of taken over the man, so he's saying it to the person, although that person's not really in control of themselves. What does Jesus say? He says, "Come out of the man." unclean spirit. There's an exclamation mark at the end. That's a demand almost. It's almost like a shout. A come out of this man. I think anybody, not just Jesus, but the apostles that were with him, but also even had we been there, I should dig in and think about what you were like. I think anybody would have been sort of startled by this thing and would have liked to have seen this thing get fixed. As a teacher, we have students who have issues medically, mentally sometimes, and sometimes students have issues that are very startling for a teacher. But you kind of have to respond to it in the appropriate way. We have training and all that. But sometimes it's one of those things that when it's over, it's like, what just happened right there? And you're kind of seeing that here. But Jesus says, 
come out of this man unclean spirit. Yes? I, 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 all I can think about in this situation is, you know, that you believe in God, you do well. The devil's also believing. And uh-huh. that, that's This is a perfect example mm-hmm. right here of the devils. They know who Jesus is. They know he's the Son of God. They know he's more powerful than them. And they are pleased with him right from the get go. Right. They understand. So they're not going to follow Jesus, but they understand the power of Jesus. Sure. So that shows you belief is near not enough. It's not near. Sure. Because even the So Jesus makes <coughs> he makes the statement there from the start, come out of this land. And then, interestingly enough, in verse nine, Jesus asks the name. So it's interesting to me, and I thought this seeing this, because how many of you feel like that's backwards as regular social interactions? How many of us think that you probably would have started by saying, what is your name? And then you're going to say, whatever, and you say, how can I help you? And then, but Jesus flips that, right? He says, come out of this thing. And then the next question, he asks what his name was. How does the Spirit answer him? <coughs> All right, so he says, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, I, I spent a little time reading on this in preparation for this. I don't think for a second that this man was named Legion. There, there, nobody's name is Legion. But a Legion is a description of what? There's a Roman army, and it described, it doesn't have a Roman army, it could be any army today, but um, it described an entity, a larger group of people, okay? And so whenever, <coughs> whenever it says this, to, to me, I interpret this as he's saying that he is demon, plural, possessed almost. That he's like overwhelmed by the amount that he has there. But he says that he is legion, using a term that would have been familiar to people in an area that was sort of quasi-controlled by Rome at various times, that we are men. Now, to me, that's a sad sentence to hear. So I want you to go back into it. You are Jesus at this time. What do you think about this man after this statement had been made? We are, the nine is legion, we are because we are men. I know we read through verse 10. We'll come back to verse 10 here in just a second, though, because I wanted to get that. We'll go just a little further. So we've got established here a man in a ter- terrible situation, demon possessed, with Jesus who has addressed the situation, but we've not necessarily fixed the situation just yet. Let's go a little bit further. This is Mark 5, 11 through uh, 13. Joshua, read this. Now a large herd of swine was feeding here, there near the mountain. So all the demons begged him, saying, Send us 
to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. Okay. Now, there is a reason why whenever, before we get into sort of the description of the lesson, I try to give you like a map or a picture or something. Because I want you to see what the area looked like. I don't know how to interpret this other than it feels like Jesus and the apostles are sort of maybe elevated a little bit. Because you can't, as you get out of the boat, you almost have to go up the hill. That's where everything led to. And so we see this happening right here. So the devils ask, and I want us to go back to verse 10 because we read it a minute ago. But the, they begged what in verse 10? It said that they begged earnestly that they would not be, what does it say there, verse 10? Not send them where? Not send them out of the country. That's an interesting thought. What does the word earnestly mean? I think you really are begging. You're sincere in it. Don't, don't, don't send us out of the country. Well, what did then, where did they end up getting sent to? The other books, this that, it's the same country, does it transfer to their format? Yeah. It makes me think there that they want to be in something. Like yeah. We're using the word country to describe, don't sit, maybe we use the word host today, like a science fiction movie or something like that. Don't send the Alabama host into something else. So, so where does he send? Where does where do the demons get sent to? So they go into um, the, the the pigs. The demons beg, saying, "Send us to the swine that we may enter them." Now, how many swine are there in this store? <coughs> That's a lot. And I want us to think about that for just a second because. That's probably, nah, I'm good, I, I, don't, that's, I don't know what's wrong. I'm trying to do the cough and not hear others hear the last one. Huh? Nah. All right, clearly. It does seem a little bit. Right. So you've got 2,000 pigs, which, that's a lot. So, so, 
I left the question out. That's my fault. No, it's fine. I, I realized I, I needed one more question. But I guess it's there. What happens to the pigs then once, the, once Jesus has sort of funneled the demons into them? So they run violently down the steep place into the sea and drown in the sea. That, that, that's how Mark describes it right there. Uh, this would have been a scary scene, I think. Um, it would have been scary for a lot of reasons. One, it's unlikely, and in fact we'll read here to say it was not at all likely, that these pigs were just out roaming free. They were corralled, controlled in some form or fashion. Now, <clears throat> the demon-possessed man has seen the demons leave him, and that's good. The demons are enough that they would go into a group of 2,000 pigs, which makes me think that he was extremely possessed in what it was. But I also want you to think about who owned the pigs. And what happened to the pigs. This becomes another problem. We'll get to that here in just a second. Mark chapter 5, verses 14 through 17. Maria, do you care to read that? So what did they do then in verse 14? They ran back where? They ran back to the city and did what? <clears throat> they went and told them what happened. Now there's a few reasons for this. I want you to think for just a second. Why do you think they would have went back into the city and told them? Because I think there's a couple of different types of reasons. Well, you got 2,000 pigs here, so that tells me that's a because they eat meat. Uh -huh. So now you got to go back to the house and say, hey, uh, we was responsible for all these pigs and now we're dead. And it wasn't our fault. And it wasn't our fault. We didn't do anything wrong. And you're dead with a little bit. So, yeah. So, I was thinking about this. When we were really little, mom and dad, and some of y'all know this story too, but when we were little, I think we came home from church one night and Jess and I both had little goldfish. And mine was dead. <laughs> mine, and Jess was alive and mine was dead. I don't remember. Golden Philip, is that what I didn't Golden Philip. Anyway, mine was dead. And they said, apparently they told Jess not to tell me. I guess I'd already ran onto the room or whatever. Like two seconds later, mom said, I come down the hall, Philip's dead, Philip's dead. And Jess is walking behind. I didn't tell him, I didn't tell him. <laughs> I can kind of think that when they ran back to the city, the main thing that they wanted to make clear was the pigs have ran to the sea and it was not our fault. I, I didn't do it. So they went back and they, they ran to Why else do you think they went back and told them? This was scary. It was a remarkable thing. It was, and not only that, 
us think? Do you think the people in the community were aware of him, even if they didn't know him? So not only have the pigs drowned, not only have the pigs drowned, the demon-possessed man was doing what? It was like Maria, Maria read that in the other last little sentence of his description, said he was in his right mind, which none of these people would have been familiar with him. They found this man in a way, it, it, this is clearly something wild that's happened. And by that time, we've not seen Jesus on this side of the water yet. So this is, all, you know, I said at the beginning, this is the 14th miracle that we've covered, but it's the first thing for a lot of those people. What the people begged Jesus to do? Would this man have been a Gentile? I think so, but I don't know. <clears throat> I, I'm not sure. Why do you say? Somebody was going to the Jews first. But it's all. But I don't know that he's bringing salvation to this man well, so much as he's. I thought I remember. Oh, I did. I thought I remember Ben telling me about this, and that he, there were Jews on the side, and they wouldn't supposed to have smiled Right. And they were there illegally raising the smile. It's so possible. I think that he was a Jew. It's possible. And, and, and I don't know that it's, I don't know one way or the other. Uh, either way. He said he's not bringing salvation. He's just being Jesus. Right. What do people beg Jesus to do there? <clears throat> I think this is an interesting thing. And I think it tells us where the clear divide between where Jesus has been and where he's not been in the way that they reacted to it. Why did they ask Jesus to leave? I wrote down three things here, but I'll let you answer them first. Why might they have asked Jesus to leave? There was fear. Huh? He ruined their food. Yeah, he cost the pig owners money. What else? Yeah. And all this stuff just starts happening. It's kind of like, there's a lot of chaos here. We can't explain it. We want you to go. I, I had written that down as well. <clears throat> he had sort of <clears throat> disrupted the order of things just a little bit. Um, you know, the, the, the money makers have lost money. The, 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 the demon-possessed man is healed. Everything is sort of in chaos uh, here at this time. It's, and, and, yeah, and, and he's, not even made it, he's not made it to town yet there as well. I don't think so. I mean, I'm sure information is spread by this point, but, you know, I, I don't think, the way that it was described about them going to the other side uh, of, the, of the sea kind of makes me think that <clears throat> there's a fairly good divide between the people on one side and the other, maybe not a lot of communication there as well. Let's finish uh, Mark 5, verses 18 through 20. Mom, you better read it. And when he got into the boat, he left in So verse 17, it said they began to plead with him to depart from their region. Yes, Mary.
asked to go? I don't think so. But Jesus has said countless times not to tell. And that's going to get to this question. But this man asked to go with Jesus. But in verse 17, it said, they said, get out of our region for the blind to work. And it looks like they get the boat and they do. But the man, he says, I want to go with you. But where is that boat going to be going? Back across the sea. And so it's almost as if Jesus is leaving there. Remember, the storm is the reason that they got pushed over there in the first place. But Jesus told the man, he said, no. But instead, he told him to do what? Go back and tell his friends. Go back and tell the people in this area. This is the, one of the first times that we've seen Jesus explicitly say, go tell. Why do you think in this situation, Jesus is saying, go tell, when in a lot of the earlier ones, he's like, man, keep this a little quiet. Maybe don't go tell. I mean, they all went and told anyway. But why is it this time Jesus is saying, go tell? He wasn't going to stay there. Now, this was not going to be an area where they were going to spend a whole lot of time. But he was sowing the seed, as it were, for this, for this man to go in. And they're going to see that this is a man who you couldn't even put chains around. You could not control him at all. And now he's sauntering back into town. Everything's good. And not only is everything good, he's coming with an explanation as to why it's good. You live in that town. What's the first thing you're going to think? I think if this man comes back in town, we got questions, right? Why? Why did this happen? Who did this? How did this happen? I don't. I want to know a little bit more about it. You ever watched a movie when it was over? You're like, man, I don't really know what just happened right there. You look it up online, and like, you know, somebody smarter than me can define what happened right here. Well, I think that's what you're going to see here. These people that live in and around the capitalists, we're going to say, what happened here? I may not be fully committed to this, but I'd at least like to know the answer about what took place right there. So did they run into the water because they couldn't handle the demons in them? Or did Jesus send them in there to get rid of the demons? What was the purpose of the swine going into the water? What do you want the answer to be? <laughs> I don't I don't know I don't know that I know the answer to that question either. I, I, it it kind of is a wrong place, wrong time thing for the pigs. It does. Um, and it, it, it does seem like. Well, they the, the demons went into the swine, into yeah. the swine. So they did. And of course, swine were anathema to the Jewish people. And uh, I know that these Gentile people here now. But I, I, I still kind of see what Tom says. Uh, like a lower-based animal. Yeah. Like, what Maria, as what you're asking is, did the I don't. It's a good question. I don't know. I don't really know the answer. It, we don't. We don't really get a good answer for that. Right. Right. Maybe so. No, I, I don't know. These are good questions and also questions that I was aware that was going to come up and was hoping that they wouldn't because I don't really know the answer to 
those questions uh, as well. Oh, it's time to go. All right. So, yeah. It's, uh... So, again, every one of these stories, there, there's something sort of different with each one of them. And I think, like I said, there's like five different examples where Jesus performs some kind of miracle with demon possession. But this is the one that's probably the most unique. I mean, I think this is one that's de- that definitely, you know, it's been 2,000 years we still have questions. They were drawing pictures about, uh, you know, a thousand years ago with, with pigs jumping in as well. But I want us a few things to go home with here as we go. Well, well, one, that every life is valuable to Jesus. And that's the first person that he saw. And I don't know that we, there's no random cases for Jesus. This seems random to us, but I don't know. It, this man was definitely alone. At, you, you said he was tormented. That's not the word you used, but you said that he would have been in, in, in misery. No real purpose because he's so afflicted. But what was his life like after the fact? It was improved, right? It was made better right there. And, and, and this is somebody who I would imagine most of the community had sort of written off by this point. We can't control him in any way. The second one. Right. 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 Hope can be found in hopeless situations. This is as hopeless as any situation as we would see. In, uh, in, in the Bible here. His condition seemed hopeless. I, I, like I said a minute ago, the, the people have clearly written him off. They've tried to tie him down and that didn't work. Nobody could really fix him in the way that they were trying to fix him. But the fixing that they were trying to do would have been to try and make him semi-normal, semi-social, that he could be with the crowd or hold a job. Or what. But that's not what this was here. But whatever the sort of things that sort of bind us or hold us down, nobody in this room is in the position that that man was in. At least not exactly like him. But there are things that have a hard time binding us as well, right? There are things that sometimes we can't control. And sometimes those can seem hopeless as well. The third one, last one for tonight, is that sometimes God doesn't make sense. Think about that for just a second. After this man was healed, he asked for what? He asked to go with Jesus. Do you know the song in the songbook, I have decided to follow Jesus? I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. I'll follow him. Jesus tells a man that no man having put his hand to the plow and turning back is fit for the kingdom of God. Yet he tells this man what? He tells him to stay. That seems contradictory to everything that we've seen so far, right? It seems contradictory that Jesus would say that. 
But he told him, he said, go home to your friends. Now that might seem unfair when we think about it, right? That wasn't fair. He should have been allowed to went with Jesus as well. But had he went with Jesus, he's one of 12 that are in the boat. But when he stayed, he's one of one to be able to spread what happened to him all around his community. Where would he have been more effective? We read quite often about the apostles, but a lot of those ones at the end of the list, we don't even hear that much about. And truthfully, he'd have been kind of at the end of the list. But sometimes God doesn't make sense to us, but the longer play makes a little more sense. And so I want us to kind of go with that, that if maybe it doesn't seem like this is the right thing right here, well, there may be a longer game being played, and there may be benefits down the line uh, as well. Any questions before we finish up?